Hello everyone, it is um, Saturday the 3rd of September 2022. I'm your host Andy and this is a new episode of New Game Old Flame. I am joined by Diego. Hello Retro Gamers. We are back. We are back from the holidays, at least I am. I have been nearly a month off. Uh, so I've been to Italy and I've been to Portugal and um, it was had really a great time. Uh, what have you been doing during the holidays? Well, my holidays have ended long time ago already. Oh, so it's not the same. Been back to work for a, at least a month now. Right. Yeah, but uh, I think it was quiet over here during August, and um, I had some time also for hobbies and, of course, also for gaming a little bit. I finally managed to have all these nice mod packs by the Circle of Eight to work for my CD version of the Temple of Elemental Evil. Ah, finally. Finally, yes. And I I think I'm quite happy because, uh, first of all, they've done quite a good work on uh, patching a lot of bugs and crashes. Unfortunately, that game was quite bugged overall it used to crash pretty easily and perhaps this was the only woos that people had against that game otherwise it was a pretty good uh, rpg type of adventures it was actually based on dungeons and dragons third edition rules so you kind of have to like the turn-based mechanics of that kind of games but if you're into it i thought it was one of the best uh, D&D-based adventures ever. But the bugs and the crashes were really, really getting in the way of fun. And hopefully now there's only very few of them left. They didn't manage to really save everything, so you need to be careful in a couple of situations, like avoid this autosave feature of the game and uh, know where the game can still crash in pretty late stages. But with this, besides all this bug fixing, they also added custom contents to the game. And I think that's a really, really nice idea to do on uh, older games in general. So they added new uh, NPCs, non-player characters, they added new locations, new quests, and some pretty extensive ones. Now I'm only maybe one third through the the game. I think I finished it already three times. So I should remember most of the story, but um, I haven't managed to to replay it completely once again. And then I I still don't know how many of these new new additions are waiting for me, but it's, it's great. Is it like a patch or...? It works in a, in a way that I have never seen before. It's uh, quite unusual in my opinion. So first you have to install 
the game. I have the old CD version, but I think you can also get it from uh, GOG, great old games. Uh, then you also have to apply a couple of official patches first, and then you basically install this uh, mod pack. There are two versions, one that basically only fixes the bugs and the crashes, and another that instead have also the new content. So if you prefer to play the original game without additions, uh, just fixed, you can also do so. And then you essentially have to start the game from another small program which switches between the different versions of the game, the original or the one, the enhanced one, enhanced content one. It's a bit weird because you kind of have to activate the version. It takes maybe half a minute and I think it swaps some, some files or updates some files in the meantime, and then you can start that version. So it's not immediate. And uh, at the same time, there is also a completely separate game that they made using the same engine, and that's the Keep on the Borderland, basically a completely separate adventure, but still based on one of these classic Dungeons & Dragons adventures. And that also... You have to install it, and then you have to activate it from this small standalone program before starting it. It's incredible what they can do nowadays with this kind of... Uh, so they can basically inject or override everything. It's really incredible. Yes, yes. And I think this has been around already almost a decade by now. So uh, it's not even that recent, but I, I had missed it before. And I, I always had in mind that one day I wanted to try it. And I even just like the fact that with this mod, you can play the game at a higher resolution. So on a widescreen and even in windowed mode, which for some reason is something that I'm always very fond of to have this option. So now I, I'm, had, I'm having quite a lot of fun reliving the, this old adventure and also trying the new one to keep on the borderland a bit. Although I didn't actually go that far into that one, and I have no idea how long it's going to be. But yeah, I think I absolutely love all the effort at uh, customizing old games, expanding old games. I think that uh, it's really great that there are some communities so dedicated on just one game that went to these efforts. Yes, and uh, what happens, uh, what we were just saying reminded me of when I used to play Warcraft 3 uh, from Blizzard, and I used to play with my friends uh, the actual game, and then I think there was some custom games you could do, and a group of people then did some games that turned out to be tower defense games, and another group of people made some games that then became Dota Defense of the Ancients, and we ended up playing more Dota, which was the original Dota, which was a, a spawn of Warcraft 3, a custom game from Warcraft 3, uh, more than actual the actual game. And we really enjoyed that. And apparently a load of people did enjoy Dota as well back in the days. So much that they made a Dota game from Valve. In fact, I think they've made multiple versions of it as well 
just goes to show how powerful it can be, this tool of uh, you know, customization. It can generate new games entirely as well. Now that you mentioned uh, the Circle of Eight community even made an editor for the Temple of Evil engine. So you can presumably create more games by yourself if you want to invest the time in that. And that is even even better because potentially, well, it, this is unlimited for the community. Right, so did you finish this game completely? No, well, I finished the Temple of Ventil Evil, I think, three times back in the days, despite the crashes and the bugs. And now I am at my fourth run, but I, I'm barely one third through the game. Right. And... Uh, don't know how far I am with the keep on the borderlands. Basically, just a few nights into it, I might be already halfway. I don't know. I don't know because I've never played that before. So let's see. So on the tail of that, I I've been praying. I've I've just mentioned Warcraft, um, Warcraft three from Blizzard, and I have literally just reinstalled Starcraft two because I really wanted to have. Um, bit of an RTS uh, nostalgia dip and I used to play Warcraft uh, sorry Warcraft 3 Starcraft 2 and I installed Starcraft 2 again um, I think it was last night so I'm not sure if it's aged well or not I can't tell that the textures seem a bit nowadays a bit old like they they're very big you can see they're not as detailed but I'm not sure if that was due to the fact that we're still downloading and and this brings me to another point that was I was really a bit shocked to find out was so to play StarCraft 2 I needed 28 gigs of hard drive for the complete download that is a lot for 28 gigabytes yes you can play it while it's downloading as well so may maybe that's the reason I started playing I couldn't wait like three hours my internet connection is not a super connection so I had to I, I played immediately and, and I noticed the textures were not as great as I remembered, but also I was playing on a higher resolution than 1080p. I was playing on, I think it's, I don't know, 2K. I have no idea, but but the level up. I, do, I just remembered it with much more detail, which it didn't really have uh, compared to modern games, but it still holds up really well. And it was a good time, and I really hope I can finish the campaign. So I've done, I think, the Terran campaign. Um, I think I paid for that at the time. And then yesterday I wanted to do the Protoss campaign and it didn't make me pay and I could play it. So I'm not sure if it's free or there's a free demo. It seems to be all free. So free download. But I, but I might be wrong. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but we've got a new theme at the beginning and at the end. <laughs> yes, yes. What do you think? <laughs> we'll keep this very, very quick because it's not very important. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that uh, the idea of uh, I love that you have chosen a jazz theme because I think it somehow fits with uh, everything in a very unexpected way. Uh, I would have probably gone for something more obvious like an 8-bit sounding or 16-bit sounding uh, tune like something uh, made with sound tracker or something like that. But But the jazz choice, uh, I would have never thought about it, but I think it, it just fits. I think it fits the overall look and feel. And one day, if we change um, 
if we change it all globally, we can we can change everything, the graphics and 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 the sound as well. It's uh, so the music's being made by a guy called Samuel Fuentes, and he's a professional musician, and um, he did this for us. And I think it's awesome. We've got all the files, we've got all the, um, the the scores as well, so we can actually modify it if we really want to. It's really cool, really cool stuff. Um, on a different note, during the holidays, I started playing the Briny Witch, and I then gave up at a certain point because I did take this away on my RG300, which is a little portable device that you can put any em emulators on. It's a handheld one. And I played the introduction, and I'm not going to say anything about it, but the only problem I had is that I couldn't save. So I used, I saved, but it didn't save anything. So every time I had to start from, from the beginning. So I will have to redo that again. We're playing this game, and we're going to be talking about it later on this year or early in 2023. So stay tuned for that. And that was the only thing I did game-wise during my holidays. I did play... Mother Russia Bleeds, which is a retro-inspired um, brawler. So it's pixel graphics brawler. And it is absolutely gorgeous. The graphics are incredible. The animations are incredible. It's dark. It's gritty. And uh, this is a, it's not a retro game. It's a Steam game, but it has a retro feel to it. And I recommend anyone to try it out if you like brawlers. And if, even if you don't like brawlers, it's very easy on your hands. Having a modern game design implies also that it's not too hard to get into. It's not too difficult. It'll guide you slowly and you'll get better and better, which is I, I love modern game design for that for that reason, because I, I'm, I suck at games, really. So I need uh, I need a bit of a guidance. That was really good. And then I bought myself Tiny Folks, uh, two pounds, I think, on Steam, which is like a Game Boy looking game. And it's a strategic game where you can explore, um, battle other creatures. Um, it is very beautiful to look at. It looks like a Game Boy game. It is not. Again, it's a Steam game. Uh, again, retro inspired. And I haven't tried it yet. But it looks amazing, and I will probably say more about this when, when I play it. I don't know if you had, um, if you ever seen any of the ones I've mentioned, but if you haven't, I highly recommend you you try and play them. So, what else have you been um, doing? Not so much what I've been doing, but I've been following up some news about new games coming up. I actually the little piece of news that I enjoyed most during. This summertime was probably the John Deere hack news. <laughs> I don't know if you have read about that too. Is it the one about the tractors? Yes, I think <laughs> John Deere is basically the biggest company that makes agricultural vehicles and machinery worldwide, something like that. The news was about uh, some Australian hacker or hacking group, white hackers, of course, which gave a presentation during a security event in Las Vegas, I think. And uh, they demonstrated how they were able to jailbreak John Deere proprietary software. And they did that in a quite funny way because they installed a farm-themed version of Doom on one <laughs> of their <laughs> machines. <laughs> and... Um, First of all, it, I think it's very interesting from a technological point of view that even 
agricultural vehicles are so advanced to have pretty complicated software running on them. But obviously the news is a bit scary because if you think that uh, the world's food supply depends on these companies' software, they probably control a good share of the worldwide food production and now the white hackers have proven that their software is not as secure as it should be. Even though I think I read that uh, jailbreak was local only, so at least it wasn't done remotely, which would be a lot more problematic, obviously. But it, the news has quite a lot of com- complications, in my opinion. Like, because... Uh, uh, the fact that these machineries used for, in this case, agricultural work, but it applies also to any other work, they always have closed proprietary embedded software. And uh, it can also make it difficult to repair these machines. Yeah, right. I was reading so that. It, yeah, and it, it gets into the right of people to repair their own things it gets into the way of this and i think there's a pretty serious movement in the world about the right to repair your own stuff and it has economical and ecological and social implications and um well i i think that you are yourself a person who does a lot of repair on very old stuff how could you imagine if all that stuff of the 80s and the 90s was made in a way that essentially prevented you to repair anything? We would lose everything. We would lose we would all lose the everything. consoles and yeah. Absolutely. It would just become all garbage. And uh, there are so so many reasons why it shouldn't happen. Not not just because a company complains that they don't have control over who repairs it. I can understand their own instances that as long as a company controls the repairs, it can provide more safety compared to maybe someone who doesn't really know how to repair and makes a mess out of it. So it's not completely wrong. But anything can happen to the company. The company might just go out of business and people might be left with the unusable machinery for that maybe should have been able to work for decades more or something like that. Yeah. So I think this has really a lot of implications and it, I would like to hear what happens next about it. But it's going to happen to Tesla as well, although I don't think it's ever going to go out of business, but uh, it's the same concept, isn't it? And iPhones and that whole sort of stuff. Yes, yes. And I'm always, I've always been a bit wary of buying too many smart household items like, uh, you know, the washing machines and uh, uh, refrigerators, especially the ones that are connected to the internet. Hmm. Yeah, yes. I'm, I haven't never really been convinced. One thing is when they just send uh, diagnostic information. So if something goes wrong, you can call uh, the company and they can check the logs and see what went wrong at your home with the washing machine and maybe they'll help you fix the problem by yourself. But I don't like uh, 
machinery that is, for example, controllable from far away, and a car especially, that that is something I, at the moment at least, I wouldn't want to have a car that you can do lots of stuff remotely. But there are uh, starting to be more and more, and at some point it might be almost inevitable. But yeah, that gives me something, quite a lot to think about. The actually. future is scary in many ways. Yeah, but... Yeah, if we stick to computer games, maybe <laughs> it's not that scary. There's a couple uh, games that I think I was really excited to hear about, with some caveats. Uh, you you know I'm a huge fan of musical games and oh, yes. Rocksmith, for example. I don't even consider it a game because for me it's more like a practice tool or learning tool. And uh, they just announced that on 6 September, uh, the new version Rocksmith Plus will be released. Oh, I've only played a um, rock band up to now that you introduced me to. Um, that's all. So what's what's Rocksmith? And sorry, I, I've been living under, under a rock. I don't know what Rocksmith is. And what's the difference between <laughs> okay. Rocksmith and Rocksmith Plus? And how is it different from rock band? Well... Uh, Rocksmith originally, in my opinion, it's really a gamified tool for learning to play the guitar or the bass guitar. And it's a software that allows you to connect your own guitar or bass to your personal computer. And uh, it also has been released on some consoles like the PS3, for example. So the game plays a famous song with the original audio and shows you a sort of notation of the notes on the screen that you are supposed to play in real time. And then it keeps track of your progress. It also allows you to play some simplified versions of the song and it will automatically increase or decrease the difficulty, meaning the amount of notes as you play, so in real time. And uh, everything is gamified, so to make the experience more uh, pleasant than the traditional way of learning, which means probably spending hours just doing exercise after exercise. So, so it, it's really nice once you get the gist of the UI. It took me a while before really liking it. And it's also got uh, some nice addition for example, there's one feature I really like about it that uh, it's for learning to improvise. And uh, basically, there's a whole section in the game where you can choose some background instruments like electric piano or uh, the drums. And uh, you choose your your key, you choose the musical mode, if you know what it means. And... Uh, you start playing and it, the game kind of follows you up. I don't know how, how they can make this happen, but if you play faster uh, or more or you are more active, the other instruments are increasing themselves, but in a way that you don't feel any sudden change. It's all very, very gradual and dynamic, and it feels like there are really people over there looking at you with their instruments trying to wait until you play something more and then following you up it's i i would really like to know how they made it possible i would like to try this i've never it sounds awesome 
is it like an mp3 that's playing in the background or do they have like like on rock band they have separations of the instruments and and then they can speed that up or or slow it down uh, no well the fundamental difference is that rock band is a group game so you you can play in the most advanced version which is rock band 3 you can play with up to 7 players four instruments plus three people singing in the microphones but rocksmith it's not really for multiplayer you you can be i think in two people i haven't tried it because i have only one cable and uh, uh, you need you i would need two cables probably to to play with someone but i think you can play one player the guitar and the other player the bass and that's it right so there is no such thing as those uh, need really for multi-tracks. You can hear yourself playing. Uh, the game automatically amplifies a bit your own sound. So you don't need an amplifier. You just directly plug your instrument into the computer or console with an appropriate cable. And then the game also adds effects to match with the original instrument of the song. And then you play along. With the rest of the audio that's it okay but uh, rocksmith plus hmm i don't think i'll make the switch not at least at the beginning well first of all because uh, i've already invested in my own small collection of dlcs so you can buy individual songs to to increase your repertoire so to speak and uh, rock Rocksmith Plus, mostly the game looks kind of the same, small improvements, but the main difference is that it is a subscription-based software. Oh, I don't like those. Yeah, I don't like them either. And uh, I'm the type of person that wants a physical game that you buy, hopefully on a CD or DVD, of course, I've also I also have my share of downloaded games, but I also feel like uh, I don't see the I don't see the object like in my hands. I want to see it, store it, so that maybe ten years from now on another computer, I still want to be able to use it. Apart from the fact that now there are shipping computers without even a CD-ROM reader, so you need an external one on your computers. But at least have the files. I, I want to see the files. And then my idea is, okay, I bought it. I can back it up forever. It's going to stay the rest of my life with me. And in fact, like I, I was never into, for example, World of Warcraft because of its subscription model. Yeah. But this, well, it's diff- it is different. With World of Warcraft, my typical thought why I never wanted to get a subscription was that if I start paying every month for this game, then I have to play it. But uh, I don't just want to dedicate myself to one game. I want to play lots of games. So I just thought if I pay, I have to play as much as possible so that the cost is justified. And I didn't like that. But... uh, this is not really a game. It's first and foremost a tool for practicing. And if it, 
if paying every month encourages me to practice more with the instrument, that is actually a very good thing. It doesn't feel like I'm taking away time from other activities. It just makes me better at playing my instrument. So it's, it's not completely bad. And uh, the, the good side of this is that you won't have to buy the individual songs anymore if you want to increase your collection. The subscription already gives you access to thousands of songs. All of them are available immediately. And it's not even that expensive. I think if I read it right, well, if you, if you only get one month at a time, it's 15 bucks, not very cheap, but it's half that if you make a one-year subscription, for example. So if, if you're someone who uses this software for practicing, one year, it's not a bad idea at all, in my opinion. I think uh, there's another software that, that my daughter loves. It's called Just Dance. And I think it works in the same way. So you can buy a subscription to Unlimited and they put lots of songs in it for, so you don't buy the single songs. You you can do s- some versions, but they put a lot of songs in, um, in, in and you can just play them basically. So it's, it works in a similar way to what you're saying. Mm, yeah. There's also a couple other things that left me a little bit undecided so far. One is that it looks like you have to be online at all times. Hmm. So I actually do occasionally have some uh, connection issues. Although I'm already looking into fixing those problems that's not related to any game in particular, just my home internet connection. But the, um, the reason why this makes me made me wonder a little bit why is it strictly required to be online all the time is it because the they are streaming the audio and uh, whatever is used to represent the notes transcription of the game if that's the case it could come come with some timing issues sometimes Um, but i don't know maybe maybe that's not the reason but I, I wouldn't like the idea that the audio is streamed because this is some game or software that really requires perfect timing, perfect synchronization. If you are playing, uh, say, a guitar solo, there might be tens of notes per seconds. You can't have something that is even 10 milliseconds late because then it, it, it would mess up all the results. So it's... Something that, um, well, will need to be clarified later on. And the other thing is that uh, the, the maybe the biggest idea game-wise is that uh, they open up this workshop functionality so that people themselves can uh, make and upload their own uh, transcriptions of songs they, they have to be sort of pre-licensed songs so they are already approved and the Rocksmith game already has the audio for this song, probably. I don't know how this is going to work, but the question is, well, if players themselves start to upload their own transcriptions, how good they're going to be? Quality control there is a big question mark. There's There's a risk that... If uh, 
those made by people are not on par with the official songs, and but people are enthusiastic doing a lot of them, then how are you going to find, figure out which are the good ones? Quickly, there can be 10,000 songs, most of which are made by the by normal people like me who make mistakes in their own transcriptions and you are not able to find the good ones anymore at least they will have to indicate somehow which ones are the official for this reason so it it could be very good because basically i'm pretty sure that given how many people already play the old rocksmith and there should be no shortage of enthusiasts who will make new new songs for the game, new transcriptions for the game. But on the other hand, the quality of those, well, that remains to be seen what it will be. Cool. So lots of question marks. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, if, I, if I was able to play the guitar or the bass, I would probably try it, but I'm not. So, and I also have got thousands of games to play, so I'll have to pass on Rocksmith still, I think. I will continue with Rock Band. Anything else coming? Yes, I think the other game that, mostly attracted my attention is uh, Lego Brick Tales. If you haven't had enough with Lego games, because I think I recently checked on Wikipedia, there's been 85 Lego games already made (laughs) for Windows or consoles or mobiles. There's a little bit of anything between uh, proper building games, action, adventure games, racing games, a little bit of everything, really. And unfortunately, also lots of bummers, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Lego games. In general, I think I've played one Lego Harry Potter a little bit, and ugh, not, not my stuff. Lego Batman, I know there is, and all that sort of stuff. I've tried some of it, but I, I'm not into Lego that way at all. Oh Well, those uh, that you just mentioned are all uh, licensed games, meaning that they are about a franchise. Batman, Harry Potter... There were tones of them, especially on PlayStation 3. So I had a PlayStation 3 here at home, and my kid played at least seven or eight of those games. There's Star Wars, Indiana Jones, uh, Marvel, superheroes, really a lot. And they all felt more or less the same to me. (laughs) They are basically um, exploration adventure games, not much to build, really. And uh, the, the new one, which is coming, is interesting, in my opinion, because it's more puzzle-oriented with a touch of physics. So, for example, I've seen the trailers. They showed that one puzzle is to build a small helicopter with a very, very limited amount of bricks. Okay. But you have to build it in a way that, that it has enough balance to fly, so to speak. Of course, it won't fly on its own. It's a, it's just in your imagination. But you have to build it in a way that when uh, the helix, uh, what what is the right name in English? Propeller blades. When they start spinning, it flies up and it doesn't fall over or crash somewhere. <laughs> and I think that's kind of a pretty nice idea at least maybe for uh, the younger audiences, but why not also the adults? But uh, let's see how it goes. They, I think that it's planned for late 20, 2022. 
for PC, PlayStation, Xbox, uh, Switch, maybe Everything. something more. Everything. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a, a pretty widespread game. But um, yeah, I, I think also I had the same feeling about all the Lego bre- Lego games. In one way or the other, they're always a little bit disappointing, even when they look very nice from a graphical point of view, for example. But there has been some blunders, especially with the online games. I remember there was something called Lego Universe about 10 years ago. It seemed great, but it lasted maybe a year. And then the servers were closed down because they weren't just generating enough revenue. So very sad. And uh, at, at the end of the day, there's always this question. The graphical look of Lego is, in my opinion, wonderful in every game. You mentioned Rock Band just a few minutes ago. Uh, we also played the Lego version of Rock Band. It's the same game with its own sets of songs, and but all the characters look like Lego. And in my opinion, it was the best looking one. It's just fun to see (laughs) the character Uh. look like Lego, in my opinion. But uh, the question at the end of the day is, of course, uh, how much sense does it make to create a video game based on a game that it's very rooted in the physical experience of handling the bricks with your hands and building with your hands? Is it a lost cause to even try they've tried more than 80 times by now it's the same with lego movies for me i I don't like them at all Uh, it's just not my thing i like legos to play with but Mm. outside that realm nothing yeah yeah in fact i think that my kids had the same effects they played those ps3 games for a while and after half an hour their typical reaction was let's go let's go to the room and play some real lego which is better yes Yes, totally agree with that and, and probably healthier in some ways. Mm. But I like the idea of the puzzler. It might it might be more interesting than the actual Lego games, uh, the licensed ones that you were mentioning. So that might be something I can look at. Um, from my perspective, I did look up some um, hardware peripheral that I'm interested in. So I'm really big on shooting games on the old consoles but not the the actual gun shooting where you have a physical gun attached to a console um, I think it's they stopped at PS2 the PS3 doesn't have it anymore PS4 doesn't have it I don't think PS5 has it and I think the main reason is because they're the new screens are all they're not CRTs and the way the old light guns used to work is not applicable to the new LCD and OLED and all the modern televisions now, someone's made on Indiegogo the um, Sindon light gun, which has been reviewed already. It's not, it's not really news, but I, I have a, a CRT set up for, with a Raspberry Pi and RGB Pi, and it's got the emulators. And I do want a light gun. You can use a certain light gun there. But at a certain point, I, I would like to try some more modern games with a light gun. And that would come on an LCD or, let's say, a flat screen in general. And the, the, the old light guns don't work there. So this guy's made a new one and it seems awesome. He's also made a pedal for it. It's called the Sindon light gun. I think there's a YouTube video, uh, a review of that as well. 
and it also apparently can detect with i don't know what technology it uses but it can detect at what angle you are viewing the screen so also the game can adapt based on that angle and then he's made a pedal to reload i think and it seems really that that, that this it seems really that this um kickstarter which is indiegogo though, it is going really well so i am very interested in this sort of product i don't know if you've ever played any of these uh, shooting games with light guns but i've played some with my kids and they literally love it i um, i don't think i have played anything for at least 20 years to be honest and only on those very old on very old consoles like the original nintendo nes but uh, i think uh, also that uh, I, any different user interface compared to the typical joystick or gamepad it's it's interesting in its own way i think um you'd be surprised how precise it is and how much fun it is but it, the screen size can make i think a difference so crt typically when you start getting up to 21 27 start to be big 32 is big but it's nothing compared to 55 and over that a flat screen can get to um i think the bigger the screen the more immersion you can get and those light guns would definitely benefit from more immersion uh, the small screen when you're in two or three people well two um, we've played with two two guns is already quite cramped it's still fun but i can imagine having like it ha having it like on a on enormous screen and, and having the terrorists and like for example in time crisis and that must be amazing or house of the dead um so i, I did mention I, I went to the arcade club in berry and uh, not long ago and there was house of the dead there on, on a flat screen in some way they made that work and, and i think the experience was much better than the crt tvs because it was much bigger and these enemies ha are lifelike size that come at you and it makes it more immersive so i'm really curious to see this uh, new product and I'm, i think i I'm, i will get it probably when it comes out well you mentioned playing on a big screen but you know what is my favorite way oh you've got the projector you cannot use the, the projector yeah I, I was going to ask you exactly that if you have any knowledge about whether this would work on a projector screen. i wonder that I doubt yeah, it. I don't think it's going to work on the projector screen at all, but I don't know. Um, I didn't read that. Um, I, but I think projectors are going a bit out of uh, fashion now. I think my friend's got a 72-inch Sony television or something ridiculous, and they can get so big and the quality is so good that I think projectors are going to go out of business, um, but I'm not sure when. I, and also, this is just my prediction, so it might be completely wrong. Well, we shall see. Okay, time to talk about today's game. All right, Red Catcher, do you want to present the game yourself this time? Okay, sure. So, Rat Catcher is a game, I don't know if it's multi-platform, but we played it on the Atari 5200, and it's a single-screen puzzler divided into five floors, so you have five floors where you can walk on and your aim is to go and catch rats electric rats and flying tomatoes <laughs> uh, and other stuff uh, that i don't remember but mainly your aim is to catch mice so 
in order to walk from one platform to another or from one floor to another, let's say better in a better way, uh, you travel, there's no stairs, you have to go into some tubes. And in on every floor, there are tubes on the left hand side and on the right hand side. And you have switches to decide which tube you're going to come out from. So you, for example, you can put, you can be on the first floor, the top of floor, and you've got a tube there, a pipe with a little indicator on it. And then there's a tube or a pipe again at the bottom level that has another indicator. So if you light the indicator at the bottom right, if you enter on the top right tube, you will exit on the bottom right one. And the same mechanic works for the left-hand side as well. At the top floor also, there is a dispenser of some radioactive liquid. I don't know what it is. Uh, so it's a liquid that automatically fills up. It's like a cylinder looking thing. And um, it fills up with some liquid. And then you can trigger it manually with one of the switches at the side. So if you trigger it on the right hand side, it will come out of the tube on the right that's highlighted and vice versa. If you trigger the left hand side switch, it will come out on the tube that's highlighted then. So it seems it's already quite complicated. In fact, I was really stumped when I saw it. It just it took me ages to get into it. So out of the tubes come mice, flying objects, uh, tomatoes especially, and electric rats and other bonus items and other enemies such as crocodiles is the first enemy you encounter. And they come out from these, I don't know, sewer pipes. And before they come out, a light flashes near the tube where they're going to come out. So you, it gives you a warning. You can use the radioactive liquid to, to kill these enemies by positioning the switch, the indicator on the tube at the right level where they, these monsters are, and then releasing the water or the radioactive fluid, and that will sweep the monsters away and kill them. But it will also sweep the rats away and the things that you have to collect. Also, on each floor, there are several switches, about three, which allow some walls that are in the middle of this to go up and down between the floors, and the walls will stop you from moving. So you can trap enemies, you can trap mice, and then go and get them, and it creates a very interesting mechanic. Now, the aim of the game is that you catch five, at least five mice for every level, at least up to where I got to, it was always up to five. And to do so, you have to be very careful. So you have to put the indicator on where the mice are and then go in that tube and then go and grab that mouse at that level and then go back or go to another level. Now, there's an interesting mechanic where once the fluid has reached a certain level, it will flash several times, but then it, it will release itself and it's a random place. It can come out from the left or, or from the right. And if you're in the wrong spot, it might just take you. And God knows where most of the times it's very difficult to predict. It takes you to, to the next tube so that the water flows right through the floor from left to right or right to left uh, and sweeps anything its way. Now, if you've got an indicator on for a different place, you will pop up on a in a different level and maybe there's a monster there. So it's really difficult. It's, for me, it was a really difficult game, especially in the beginning. Now, these levels, 
they are time-based. So you've got some time, and within that time, you need to grab at least five mice. The more, if you grab less, I think you lose a life, but I'm not sure. And if you grab more, then you get a bonus. And if you grab five, then that's the base minimum to go to the next level. Obviously, if you die, you lose a level. So if you go against a monster like a crocodile, you lose a life. And then you just go on. Uh, so let's say if you keep getting five mice, you'll go from one level, another level, and I think two or three levels. And then you'll get a bonus level where, where there, there's no monsters and you just got to get as many coins that, that you can. And then it goes back to the the pattern with the monsters, with different monsters and things flying about. Yes, let's also give some credit to the author. This game is made by Ryan Whitmer, also known as Phaser Cat. And I think it's uh, already been out for six years now, so not exactly new. And uh, originally developed for Atari 5200, but there are also ports for Atari 8-bit if you don't have a 15... Uh, 5200 or if you don't want to mess with that huge beast that this console is and uh, the game is officially inspired by Taito's Zookeeper and by the original Mario Bros not Super Mario Bros but the first oh. one I don't yes, know if yes, you the arcade it. one. It does, in some respect uh, yeah, it does re remind me of the layout of Mario Bros for the arcade well, there's obviously the theme because in in those cases there were plumbers, the Mario Bros. In this case, a rat catcher, but still it's a single screen platformer set in the sewers. And there's tubes out of which some critters is coming out. So I can totally see the inspiration there. Not so much from Zookeeper, to be honest. I assume the Zookeeper one is the, the walls going up and down, maybe. Yes, it's. Uh, I think it's the game where you are walking around the halls. You have a diff strange perspective, unusual perspective, so that as you walk around the screen, your character moves in a sort of rectangular path. And as you walk, you build more wall into the screen so you are like drawing a wall as you walk a rectangular wall to try to keep the critters inside and as they bounce through the wall they make holes they make the, the wall crumble so you have to prevent that they get out of it i didn't see a strong resemblance to this game at all except maybe for the fact that you are trying to catch mm. some animals yeah i agree that's it but yeah, Mario Bros, it's, it's totally an inspiration there. Even in, in the bonus levels, you have to chase coins in the bonus levels instead of rats. And uh, there were also the bonus stages in Mario Bros where you have to get all the coins before the time runs out. So uh, I think it um, overall, the game is a very solid game. If you can get past the obvious, uh, not so nice, I don't want to say ugly, but the look of the game is kind of primitive. We are talking about a very early generation console yeah. after all. But uh, It doesn't look great. 
I like the fact that, uh, no, but I like the fact how there's few rules to this game, but still these few rules generate quite a lot of complexity because yes. there's a lot yes, going on. It took on me a while to understand. Screen. In the beginning, I did not understand anything. I kept coming out from one tube on the other, and then I, I, I released the the liquid, the fluid, and then I, it bumped me around through, through the same tubes. I, I just did not understand the, mechani- the mechanics behind it. And I think the, one of the point is to confuse you because if you land on a platform where there's a crocodile, the crocodile typically sees you and starts running towards you faster and you want to get away. So maybe your first instinct is just getting into the tube anywhere. But if you don't check where the exit is going to make you land on, you can be still in trouble. And you can even just land on the same place if you haven't switched the semaphore to another yeah. floor. When when you get to a certain level, I think as well, you realize so you this game uses two buttons to play uh, and one switches the indicator further up and the other one switches one level down. So you, when you get to a certain level, you can understand that it's quicker to press the other button sometimes. Because in the beginning, I just, I just pressed one button and it would go all the way around, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. And uh, I, I thought it was a bit odd choice. It could have been uh, just made it so that uh, up and down are the commands for switching the exit semaphore up and down, respectively. But uh, the Atari 5200 has two buttons by default on the controllers. So that makes all sense. And I think that the eight, Atari 8-bit port must have switched to probably up and down because uh, they have by default one button, their joysticks. But I'm not I'm not completely sure. I, I, I haven't tried that, to be honest. I just played with the basic version. I would like to port. add another thing that I just noticed now. So you said it takes inspiration from Mario. And I think... Do they do the characters have like a little cap on it? It looks like they've got a cap, like a little hat. So like like Mario? Mm. Yes, I think so. Yes. It's a bit hard to tell because there's pixels are quite huge, but I think that's what the profile suggests, what the silhouette suggests. So how did you feel about this game? But I like it. I think it has a very good playability. I must say I didn't have very big expectations because the system this game is designed for, it's one of my least favorite. I never really enjoyed 5200 games. In my opinion, they were always a bit underdeveloped and uh, most of them were actually ports from arcade games and not good ports, in my opinion. So I, I was intrigued by the fact that someone made, even in the first place, a modern game for this system. But I think it's very playable. And especially if you play in multiplayer's mode, because these games offers up to three players, you can... Uh, you can play Beef, Buzz, or Pork Chop. Those are the names of the characters. And I, I think the author has used the same characters also in other games. So it would be nice to to see if there's some sort of background story to these characters. And um, it gets even more messy. 
the game is messy in a lovely way because it's it's entertaining it's it's a lot of chaos you have to keep an eye on the crocodiles where are they going where are they coming out you have to keep an eye on the rats of course i think if you if you manage to catch all the 10 rats of the level the level is won but as you said it's enough if you catch 5 then when the time runs out you go to the next level there's a maybe interesting idea here that if you don't catch 5 but less you lose one life but you still go to the next level i don't think this is common at all and uh, the other way of course to lose a life is to get caught by a crocodile or by one of the other flying uh, dangerous objects so you have to keep an eye on your enemies you have to keep an eye on the rats that you are after there are uh, after a while levels with the barriers so you can also use the switch to move the barriers up and down a level you you also of course need to keep an eye on the gouge on the top which tells you how soon the water is going to discharge by itself and i found it useful to just discharge it myself even to a use towards a useless floor rather than uh, wait too much so that it goes automatically because then you have no control and you it's even more difficult to get out of the way because if you get caught by the water you are swept away you see, i never did that you you don't die of it but but uh it it messes up with with what your what your current plan is all of this when you play by yourself but add another player and uh, even though the game is cooperative so what matters is the total catches of rats in a level so you're not playing against each other if all of you catch together the 10 rats you won the level but still it's so easy that one person is trying to do something and the other person messes up with the semaphores and changes the exits and uh, then it's even more messy than before you can also decide if you want to be mean to also play a little bit against the other, like try to trap the other players between barriers or um, make his current plan, uh, foil his current plan and change the semaphore at the last time so that he he ends up in the wrong place. But I, th I think it just increases the fun, really. And uh, I'm always, always very very happy when i see a multiplayer game because it's uh, it adds a new new sociality of playing that it's uh, so did you actually test the multiplayer yes sure ah with i, I have I a couple of kids that. that make wonderful testers is it better then is it more engaging when you play multiplayer yes but you also should expect that you're gonna die more often because of the added chaos so I, I reached a certain level and so it was very difficult for me to master. So it, it took me ages to understand what was going on, the switches, the lights, where I would come out. It must be the age, but but that was it. Uh, so it, it really took me a long time to understand the water, when it would discharge by, by itself, where it would go, but it was random or not random. So I mean, it took me a long time also to understand where, I, where I'm going out. 
then some levels have the the walls that are not working so they go up and down randomly and you can't switch them and i didn't understand that at the beginning sometimes if the water discharges and you hit a wall you will be flustered i don't know you say you you kind of oh, you, you have a moment the the character stays about I don't know two or three seconds in a state where it, he can't move and if you're being followed by a crocodile it can be the difference between life and death there that that was quite an annoying mechanic but i mean it was put there on purpose so it works well yes and definitely if, if you smash against a wall you have to wait two or three seconds to regain consciousness or what and and so if if there's an enemy nearby yeah it might it might mean you lose a life on the bright side you can also smash the enemies against the barriers Yes, I think, but don't the enemies just die when you when the liquid um, gets them? Because well, uh, well, the crocodiles get swept away by the water, but if there's a barrier, instead of being swept all the way through the tube and out of the level, they hit the barrier and get stunned themselves. But they always stay in the same position. Yeah, I don't think they recover. They just stay stunned. Those crocodiles that were stuck there, they were stuck there for the whole level. Yes. And they always looked like other crocodiles that were coming out. And it's it's difficult while you're looking elsewhere to tell if those crocodiles are alive or dead. Yeah, I, I would have expected that they would also regain consciousness after a few seconds. But it doesn't appear to be the case. And maybe it's a bug. Yeah, I think you can also, anyway, smash the rats against the barrier so that then they stay there for long at least and you can catch them more easily. So the rats, you go you go and catch them and when you get in the range of distance to them, they start running faster. But the crocodiles, as soon as you land on the floor, in wherever you are, they start going quicker towards you. Yes, I think that's by design. As if the crocodiles can see all the way, but the rats are small and will only see you when you get closer. And of course, the crocodiles run to run towards you, and the rats run away from you when they see you. So this is New York sewers, I guess, because it's it's there that they say there's alligators and crocodiles in the sewers. <laughs> yes, it was a, a, a urban legend or something. But they're not albino, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's an interesting game for me um i was saying the the, cur- the initial curve to learn for me was very steep but because it's me but then once i've learned it I, I didn't even die anymore i just kept going and going and going and going and going and at a certain point I just turned it off uh, i don't know what the limit was but I, I don't know did you reach an end no 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 uh, to me it wasn't that easy i think it it was easy to understand immediately the game but uh, i didn't get much better after a while don't remember how many levels i've been through but definitely not to the end and at this point i'm not even sure there is an end because uh, after the first few levels i didn't notice any significant difference it could even be that they just repeat themselves forever we should probably ask the author if there's an end level at some point or not because the game doesn't really seem to have an end it's a game that is probably very suited for a high score competition but other than that 
it doesn't seem to have a progression or anything. You just keep playing and playing and playing and the score just keeps going up. I don't know if you can loop it as in go to the end 99999 and then go back to zero. I have no idea. I didn't spend that much time, but it would be interesting to know. And maybe also this is something that we, we could ask the developer if we can get a hold of him. Okay. So I, I wanted to ask you, what's your general opinion and feelings about the Atari 5200 console? Because I said it's one of my least favorite, but what is your opinion? Well, uh, I don't know anything about, about this machine. I've never owned one. I've got a 2600 at home, but not a 5200 at home, which makes me think, would the 2600 be able to run a game like this, or is it too complicated? I have not even the idea of the difference in power, if there is any, between the two consoles. I don't know. The only thing I know is it looks fairly similar to the 2600, and that's about it. It's got four ports and a weird controller with some numbers. Yeah, so I, I think that the Atari 5200 was quite an infamous case of a console that really didn't deliver. And uh, I think it did manage to sell about a million units, but that's not that much compared to the 30 or so million sold by the 2600. And it practically was discontinued in a couple of years. I, I was... I was happy that someone actually is still making games for it because uh, one of the biggest problem and one of the probably the main reason why it failed back then is the lack of software. It only had about 70 official games, most of which were remakes of the previous console or arcade ports. And there were competitors, consoles like the ColecoVision, which made very good arcade ports and uh, no unique games at all, for example, as long as I know. By the way, do you know that I, I follow a Finnish blog called the Finnish Retro Gaming Comparison blog? Ah, I think you told me about that. Yeah, where, where there's a guy that compares all, all the versions of the games. Yes, yes. I, I think it's a great blog and I, I would like to, to have the author as one of our guests one day. Yeah, why not? But uh, I've read, I've been especially interested in their articles on unique games. I'm always looking for games that have been made for just one system or console or home computer so that you need to have that one if you want to play this game. And he made many articles about unique games. And I never found anything about 5200 games that are unique. So there is very little reason to own a 5200 console, in my opinion. So on, on the bright side, I was very happy to, to know that someone is making new games for it. Because that, that will make the few owners of this console very happy. But then, of course, the other main reason why it's normally consider a kind of a failed console is the terrible controllers <laughs> the default controllers are legendary in their in a very negative way very unwieldy to use they are analog sticks with the, that they are not self-centering and they're prone to breakage but i think nowadays 
you have a few options for like modern adapters for or straight modern controllers for it but back back in the days uh, it it was really really miserable and it wasn't also it wasn't retro compatible with the 2600 that's another thing that they really should have strived for because people had bought lots of games for the previous one so at least if the new one would allow them to play their old their old cartridges as well they would many more people would probably made the switch anyway but it didn't work let's say it i i think so i i'm really trying to be objective but the idea that i've always had since i started being interested in games and consoles and computers is that the atari consoles always sucked <laughs> and, and okay. i really struggled to move away from that idea I really struggle i mean the games that, that this rat catcher is is okay i think it's it's quite good but it wouldn't make me want to buy that console as it didn't back then i remember that as i told you in a, one of the previous episodes i used to go to my friend's house he had a 2600 he thought it was the end of the world i had a commodore 64 and the atari looked terrible and i still really struggle to like that machine i like the the woody one so the one that's got the but just as a as an ornament like kind of I, I, there's some games if the games are good the games are good but the graphics my dear lord i don't know what it's it's like a game made in teletext <laughs> so i, I well but uh, you got to admit that the 2600 is very old it's very I, old i think it's uh 1978 if i remember right so it was really the almost the stone age of consoles so to speak yeah um, yeah we have to admit that if if i had probably seen that before the Commodore 64, I would have appreciated it more. But I think it, it's aged really badly. It's the games that they put out, again, it all, it all boils down to the games. And if the games are good, are playable, you can still have fun. But yeah, it's the least favorite of my consoles. But let's see. Let's see. At least for the, for the 2600, there have been quite a good bunch of uh, new homebrew games. So maybe one day we should give them a try and see if we can find some hidden gems. Yeah, maybe they'll make Doom run on that as well. Doom runs everywhere. Yes. Okay, I think it's time to wrap this uh, episode up. Game at New Game Old Flame is the email address to write to if you want to ask us any questions or post any contributions such as audio clips where you want to talk about the games if you play together with us. That'll be fine. That'll be lovely. And we will put them in our episode please if you do send these send them five days before the show airs and we'll be able to fit them in for any other questions yes write to the same email address game at new game flame.com and we will read your questions on the show you can join the discord server by going on our website and uh, following the link to the discord server you're all welcome it's slowly growing which is really really nice and uh, hopefully we'll have uh, later on some contests and some giveaways. And so that, that's one way to reach us. And if you are a listener of Retro Asylum, which you should be, you can find our channel on their Discord server as well. So we welcome you wherever you want to be. See, very flexible. And I think that's it. Hold on. Should we decide 
what game you're gonna review next no yes i forgot <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay so i well i can say that we have already decided the game will be yazi or yazi not sure what is the correct pronunciation yeah yazi that actually exists in two slightly different versions one for the msx and the other one for the sega mega drive so if you want to try either version and send us your opinion then we'll have a better better thing to talk about next time i think i already know that i have a slight preference between these two but i'm not telling yet which one i'm gonna play both of them as much as possible mysterious man i i think i'm gonna concentrate on the msx because i've never played that but having said that i've got the mega drive hooked up to the tv so hmm, who knows one last shout out again to the show asylum thanks guys for your support and i will see you soon in the next episode have fun and take care and happy retro gaming